Welcome and thanks for joining Hope Awakens for Program 6. We're moving rather quickly through this incredible series, aren't we? I'm Rebecca, one of your hosts in this riveting series. I'm sure that you really enjoyed John's last program on the judgment. It was amazing and so full of hope. If you missed it, you'll want to catch up. And you can do that on our website, hopeawakens.com.au and just click on the previous program's link. If you missed it, be sure to catch up. It was mind-boggling. Well, we're in for another great program from John this evening, Earth's Ultimate Remedy. But before we go there, Robbie, what questions do we have for tonight? We've got some really good questions tonight, really probing questions. Our first question is, what is kenosis? Well, that's a great question, and it's excellent to see that we've got some real thinkers among our audience. So kenosis is a Greek word that means emptying, and it comes from Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So some in theological circles use this word kenosis to describe the self-emptying of Jesus' own will and becoming entirely receptive to God's divine will. It's important to note that Paul is not talking about Jesus emptying himself of divinity. If he did that, he wouldn't be God. Instead, we're talking about the will. This is why we see Jesus on the night before his crucifixion, when praying to the Father, saying, Not my will be done, but your will be done. So, to put it simply, kenosis is the emptying of your will to receive the Father's will. Our second question is, Pastor Bradshaw explained the meaning of the 2300 days or years by linking Daniel 8 and 9 together. On what basis can this be done? Another great question. Here are the key reasons. Number one, both chapters are discussing the sanctuary or the temple. In chapter 8, transgression or sin causes the sanctuary to be desolate and cast down. In chapter 9, Daniel shows that sin has caused the sanctuary to be desolate and in ruins. In chapter 8, it ends with Daniel not understanding the part of the vision concerning time of the 2300 days. And in chapter 9, Gabriel tells Daniel he has come to help him understand the vision and immediately discusses the time. So you see, these two chapters are closely linked and the 490 years is cut off from the 2,300 years. And in chapter 9, written 500 years before Jesus, and in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it reveals that Jesus is the way to face the judgment with joy and absolute hope and confidence. So they are definitely connected. Well, Rebecca, that's all the questions for tonight. Back to you. Thanks, Robbie. Well, we're certainly getting some interesting questions from our viewers. Keep them coming and we'll keep answering some every night. Now let's join John Bradshaw with tonight's message, Earth's Ultimate Remedy. One thing modern science has been looking for since the advent of the coronavirus outbreak is a cure. But alas, so far, no cure, no vaccine, no drugs that provide the knockout punch we're looking for. It's no surprise human beings are enamored with the idea of finding a cure for illness. That's appropriate. Of course, the advisable thing would be to do all you can to prevent getting ill in the first place. But even then, that can only provide so much protection. 
even healthy people get sick. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, medicine shows were a thing in the United States. Traveling salesmen would offer elixirs of all kinds that were promised to be able to treat just about any malady you could think of. They were often referred to as quack medicines. And some of those so-called remedies contained about as much as 30% alcohol. Some of them also contained cocaine and morphine. You can imagine people might have felt good for a moment and then not so good. And no one was getting healed. We are grateful for advancements made in medicine, but you know there's still no cure for HIV AIDS. Some very helpful treatments, but no cure. There is no cure for cancer as a whole, although we thank God many cancers can be successfully treated. Different cancers act in different ways. What's successful in treating one won't work in treating another. People are different. One person might respond to treatment while another person might not respond to the same treatment. People were saying over a 100 years ago, Cancer would be gone within a few years. Not one of the greatest predictions ever made. Someone is diagnosed with cancer in the United States every 30 seconds. About 150,000 Australians are diagnosed with cancer each year. We'd like to find better treatments for stroke, diabetes, heart disease. But I'm going to remind you, some of the very best treatments for many illnesses isn't treatment, but prevention. Sometimes the two best doctors you can know are Dr. Left Foot and Dr. Right Foot. Get them moving and they will be a blessing to you. Now, here's a funny old thing, and that is the placebo effect. A placebo is a medical treatment or a procedure which is designed to actually deceive the person receiving it. It could be a pill. It could be an injection. Placebos don't contain any active ingredients, but they often produce dramatic physical effects. Today, a drug isn't approved unless it produces a greater effect than a placebo. Placebos have been shown to produce measurable physiological changes, such as an increase in heart rate or blood pressure. Illnesses that rely on the self-reporting of symptoms, those are the ones that seem to show the greatest successes for placebos. Depression, anxiety, irritable bowel syndrome, chronic pain. An injection causes typically a stronger placebo effect than a tablet. Two tablets work better than one. Capsules are stronger than tablets. And larger pills produce greater reactions than smaller ones. It's even been found that the color of pills makes a difference in the placebo results. And because they've been so effective, a lot of study has been done on placebos as being a treatment in their own right which says something fascinating about the power of the mind and the power of suggestion. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody said, faith is all you need in the fight against illness, except, of course, people of faith get sick too. So, in the next few moments, I'm going to tell you about a cure-all, and I mean cure-all. What I'm going to share with you tonight is Earth's ultimate remedy, the cure for every ailment, every illness, every disease, every malady, and don't think for a moment that I'm kidding because I am not. Illness is a monster. It takes on many forms. It can be physical, emotional, external, internal. It can be mild or it can be serious. And we are living in a time right now of illness. I mean, we always do. We've seen the rise of a new disease, an illness we've never fought before. And real people are dying. Every one of them is someone's daughter, someone's son, someone's parent, someone's brother or sister. 
We all know people who are gravely ill from one thing or another. But I want to tell you right now, there is a better day coming. Let's start in the Bible. The book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Hard to imagine, isn't it? No more death. Grandma would always be there. No more sorrow. No more crying. We have been marinated in grief and tears. No more pain? Wouldn't that be something? No more back pain or neck pain or joint pain. No migraines. No nerve pain. The Bible promises us no more pain. Well, what in the world is going to be, uh, is going to happen to make this possible? Let's go back to the Bible. John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That is a promise from Jesus himself. I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm going to take you to my father's house. He's talking about heaven. Paul wrote to Titus, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, we see Jesus' return depicted in graphic terms. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11, John wrote, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords, you can almost hear the hallelujah chorus. The return of Jesus is a cornerstone of the Bible. Even back in the book of Job, which is said to be the first book of the Bible to be written, we read this. Job said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God Way back then, faithful Job was looking forward to the return of Jesus. So when is the return of Jesus going to happen? That's the million dollar question, isn't it? Now, I think there are people who've made a million dollars suggesting they know when it's going to happen. There has been a slew of false predictions over the years, and I have no increase in increasing that number. I have no interest in increasing that number by one right now. Here's what Jesus said about that. Matthew 24, 36, but of that day or hour knows no man, not the angels of heaven, but my father only, only God knows, but we can know when it's near 
Matthew 24, Jesus. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. We've already spoken about the kinds of things the Bible talks of as signs of Jesus' return. False Christs, wars and rumors of wars, disease epidemics, pestilences. We're seeing that. An increase in knowledge, secular, but most importantly, spiritual or theological. The proclamation of the gospel. If we are thinking straight, we'd have to admit that it seems like the return of Jesus would be soon. We don't have to set dates but we can know when we are getting close. Now, many people call this return of Jesus the rapture. Look in your Bible. You will not find the word rapture in the Bible. But it's okay. The concept is there. God's people waiting to meet Jesus, caught up to meet him when he returns. You'd think an important event like this, so meaningful to everyone everywhere would be awaited by all believers and that every one of them would be ready for the day when it comes. But oddly enough, that is not the case. Some church folks just aren't aren't that interested. Many people who would not describe themselves as religious maybe are living without any understanding of what is promised here. But it's only a matter of history repeating. I'll tell you why. Israel had been looking forward to the advent of the Messiah Ever since ever, God made a promise in the Garden of Eden that the Messiah would come. We saw last time we were together, Daniel predicted with incredible accuracy the very year the Messiah would be anointed. We discovered that would be the year 27 AD. They had been watching. It was there in the scriptures all along. Remember the Christmas story? Who came from afar to see baby Jesus? The wise men. Why were they there? Matthew 2 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east, and they came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Seen his star? What star was that? The wise men had evidently seen a mysterious light in the heavens. They saw a star. They searched the scrolls of the ancient records. The prophecy of Balaam had declared, There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Numbers 24, 17. If these magi living far away could figure it out, you would think that everyone in Jerusalem would have been expecting this Messiah to enter the picture. But they were asleep at the wheel. In fact, they were expecting the wrong kind of Messiah. Not unlike a lot of people today who feel that their faith ought to fit our lives rather than faith molding our lives. When Jesus came the first time, Israel had been looking forward to this for almost 2,000 years. And when Jesus came, the Bible says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Isaiah said, He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. If a nation carved by God out of the rock of humanity, a nation that had access to the scrolls and carried a rich tradition of faith, could absolutely swing and miss when it came to the arrival of Jesus, 
we had better at least consider the idea that people today could also get it wrong when it comes to the second coming of Christ. Now, we don't have to get it wrong because the Bible says so much about it. Let me encourage you. Read the Bible. Pick it up. Put down the remote for a moment and pick up the Bible. Read it. Think about it. Learn from it. Chew on it. You don't have to believe what everyone else is saying, whether good or bad. Ask God to speak to you, to show you what you need for your spiritual growth. A fellow I know was on a journey, literally. He'd crossed the country with some friends, was out doing his thing, living like a, living like he was not a believer, because that was the case. A lady at a market gave him a Bible when he bought some things from her. She gave him her own Bible. He read it and it turned his life around. Read. Let me appeal to you. People tell you God isn't good. Read the only record we have about God. Decide for yourself. People tell you God isn't fair. Read for yourself and decide. People tell you faith in God is for the feeble-minded. Read for yourself and you'll see one way or the other. But do read for yourself. Taste and see. Investigate. Jesus said, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In Noah's day, only eight people were saved. That's a concern, isn't it? Now, Jesus isn't saying that only eight people will be saved when he returns, but he's telling us a large number will not be. That's a serious warning. This is something you don't want to miss. It's why Jesus said in Matthew 24, 44, Therefore, you also be ready. It's encouragement from a God that doesn't want anybody to not be ready. Jesus wants you to be ready to meet him at the second coming. And so God tells us about the second coming of Jesus. It's not hard to understand why Paul called it the blessed hope. No more death, no more separation, no more pain, no more crime or suffering or hatred or war. It's no wonder John prayed in Revelation 22, 20, even so, come Lord Jesus. That's the last prayer in the Bible. And it's a prayer for the return of Jesus. In Acts 1, it says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The angel said, Jesus will so come in like manner. So he's really going to return. This is something literal. The return of Jesus is not a spiritual event. It's not when you accept him in your heart. He's really going to come back to the earth. And notice this. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. That is Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Matthew 24 and verse 30 says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Matthew 24, 27 says, For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. You can see lightning with your eyes shut. It will light up everything. 
Now let's read 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now that might just be the noisiest passage in all of the Bible. In August 27, 1883, Krakatoa erupted, an Indonesian island volcano. It said that eruption made the loudest sound ever made on this earth. It was heard 1,300 miles away in the Andaman Islands. They said it sounded like guns firing. It was heard 2,000 miles away in New Guinea and Western Australia. It was heard 3,000 miles away. That's 5,000 kilometers in the Indian Ocean near Mauritius. Imagine being in Auckland, New Zealand and hearing something from Sydney, Australia. Imagine being in Indianapolis, Indiana and hearing something all the way from Portland, Oregon. You'd hardly believe it. Well, this is going to be loud too. And you can believe it. The return of Jesus. But that's not all. In Psalm 50, it says, Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him. It will be very tempestuous all around him. And so the return of Jesus will be literal. It'll be visible. It will be audible. It will be glorious. It will be amazing. What an event this will be. The world will see. The cosmos will be shaken. And a people who have waited so long to see their Savior will see him return in power. You've never seen special effects like this. Imagine what you'll see. Imagine what you'll hear. Imagine who you'll see. We'll see Jesus coming back. And God wants us to take this seriously. I lived for a time in London, England. Lived in North London. I would catch the number 73 bus to King's Cross Station. From there, I'd take the tube. It didn't matter really when you went up to the high street to catch the bus. If you missed it, there'd be another one along soon in just a few minutes. But the return of Jesus isn't like that. There's no place for being casual about it, planning on getting ready later instead of being ready now. Look at what Jesus said. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The passage speaks of the timing of Jesus' return. Because we cannot know when he's returning, we are told to watch and be ready always. It's important to God. First Thessalonians 5, 2, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. You don't know when a thief is coming to your home. That's why you want to be constantly vigilant, taking security precautions. You can't afford to slack, to not watch. Like the airline employee who woke up in the belly of a plane headed from Seattle to Los Angeles just not that long ago. He was a baggage handler. He took a nap among the bags he had loaded onto the aircraft. He only woke up when a bag fell on top of him. Passengers heard him pounding on the floor beneath them. The plane had to turn around and go back to Seattle. The man fell asleep. He didn't watch. He didn't remain alert. Jesus says, we don't want to be like that man. We want to watch for the return of Jesus, to be ready for the return of Jesus, not to be sleeping and miss being ready for that great event. Second Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night 
in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Jesus wanted us to be watching for this because he knew that not everybody would be. The Bible says that when Jesus returns, some will be saved and some will be lost. And I want you to notice, these are people who've had the same opportunities. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Notice, two people engaged in the same pursuit, two people going about their business in the same way. They both should be saved. But Jesus said one will be and one won't be. He said his return would be like Noah's day when some got on the ark and the vast majority did not. Those who took advantage of the provision God had made for their safety were saved. And those who ignored God's offer were not. We can't blame God for that. He didn't destroy the world with a flood because he was a tyrant but because evil had very nearly removed every last trace of hope. There would have been no nation out of which Messiah would have come. God destroyed the world so you could have a future, not because he's some sort of bloodthirsty ogre. Accusing God of cruelty would be like, it'd be like accusing a doctor of cruelty for amputating a gangrenous toe. You take the toe so the rest of the body has a chance. When Satan had just about destroyed the entire world, God removed the evil so there'd be a chance you could be saved. So there'd be two groups in the end, one saved, one lost, unnecessarily so. God wants you to be in the group of people who who welcome in eternity. Do we have to face the future with fear as we look forward to the return of Jesus? Oh, no. Jesus invites us. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. That's John 6. Jesus said in John 7, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and this is what he said. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You see, Jesus invites you. The last invitation in the Bible is found just five verses from the end of the Bible. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. What an invitation. I met a lady one night. She'd been hopeless. She had given up on life. Everyone in her life had given up on her. She felt like there was no point living. She planned to take her own life. But you know what happened next. Someone invited her to read the Bible. And when she did, she found hope. She found a savior who welcomed her, a savior who loved her. She was changed. And now she lives in the hope of the return of Jesus. 
You know, this assures you that somebody loves you, somebody cares for you, somebody accepts you. And not just any someone, but the someone. There's a loving God who says there's something beyond this world. He's telling us that because he knows that so many people are going through so much right now. You're looking at losing a job. Well, God says there's a better day coming. You're caring for or or worried about a sick family member. God says one day there'll be no more sickness. You're trying to figure out how you're going to make it in this world. God says, I've got you covered. You've had a run of bad luck. God says, I'm blessing you. And things are going to look better before too long. You've buried someone you love, lost a family member or a friend. God says, there's got to be a great reunion one day. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of struggling, a lot of hardship in this world. might be hard to pay your bills. You might have got a diagnosis that was not good. You might have a relationship falling apart. But God says the best is yet to come. Don't give up on God when we have so much to look forward to. God wants you to have hope about the return of Jesus because when he comes back, he's coming back for you. I often get asked if Jesus is coming back secretly. No, his return is something you will see, something you will hear. That's what the Bible says. It says every eye is going to see him. Imagine the king or the queen of a certain nation coming to your town. There'd be a civic reception. The news media would cover the event. It would be a big deal. When King Jesus comes to your hometown to take you to be with him forever, he's not going to slip in unnoticed. You are going to know what an event that will be. But notice the urgency in Revelation 22. He who is unjust, or she for that matter, let him be unjust still. He, she who is filthy, let that person be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So when Jesus returns, every case is decided. The saved will be saved. The lost, lost. There's nothing then that can be done to change it. You know what that means, don't you? It's why it's important to make a decision now and not wait. If you think you're unworthy, that's because you are. But you're never going to get to heaven because you're worthy. You'll get to heaven through faith in Jesus. If you think you're unready, it's all the more reason to make a decision for Jesus now and not wait for a moment. He saved the thief on the cross. He can save you. He saved that woman taken in adultery. He can save you. He saved the woman at the well. He saved a demon-possessed man who was living among the tombs. He wants you too. He offers you everlasting life. What are you going to do with that? When Jesus returns, the entire human race will be divided into two groups, the redeemed and the rest. Look at what Isaiah says. It will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Jesus is coming back. When he does, he will make a grand entry. 
befitting one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. The heavens are going to depart as a scroll and Jesus will come riding down the great corridors of space. Is the blessed hope your hope? Let me ask you where your confidence is right now. Do you have a future as bright as this one planned? If you're without God right now, how's that working out? Let's be honest. Where are you headed? God has something truly wonderful for you. True story. Homeless man was found by some boys playing in the snow near a bridge. Poor man had died from hypothermia. He died alone and broke. In order to get food, he would scratch through rubbish trash cans. In order to get money, he'd beg. What he didn't know is that his great aunt had died a little while before and had instructed her lawyers to find her family members. He was one of the few that could be found. She left him $19 million. True story. He died homeless and penniless, when in actual fact, he was a very wealthy man. He fought hunger every day when he could have bought the local supermarket. He didn't have a home of his own, never slept in a bed, but he could have bought the five, the 10 most expensive homes in town and furnished them lavishly and had plenty of money left over. He just didn't know what he had. He didn't know who he was. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you have? Do you know how wealthy you are? Do you know what God has done for you? Do you know what God offers you right now? The man was the nephew of a wealthy woman. She was his great aunt and he just didn't realize it. You are a child of the king of heaven. You know that's true. Therefore, you have hope right now. Hope that soon you will be reunited with Jesus. You are not a spiritual pauper. You have access to heavenly riches. You have a future. Jesus is your elder brother. God is your father. But you say, I don't feel like I'm worthy. Let me ask you a question about that homeless man. Was he worthy of the $19 million? You might say no. You might say yes. Wasn't a question of worthiness. It was a question of relation. And it was a question of what the woman did. She left him $19 million. All he needed to do was say yes. And every day from then on would have been a much brighter day. Are you willing to say yes to Jesus right now? When you do every day from here on out will be a brighter day. And sure enough, soon Jesus is going to return to this earth. He's going to gather us together and take us home. It's not medication that's ultimately going to make this world right. It isn't a vaccine. It isn't money. It isn't politics. What's going to set things right is the return of Jesus.
And we sense now that it won't be long. Paul called the return of Jesus the blessed hope. Is it your hope? It can be. Can you trust in Jesus? You may invite him into your life. Believe that when you do, he comes into your life. Wow. What a day that will be when Jesus returns. I can hardly wait. We will see our loved ones again who have put their trust in Jesus and live with him forever. And to think that he wants to come to take us to be with him. What a wonderful Savior. No wonder he is coming with the greatest sound and light show ever seen. But I'm so glad that the last words of the Bible are an invitation to us all, good and bad, rich and poor, an invitation to come and live with God for eternity. What a God. Now, Rebecca, John has given us some study guides for tonight's presentation. Can you share with our viewers how to get access to that? Thanks, Robbie. Well, tonight we have another special offer for you. This amazing ebook called Promises of Power. To claim your free offer, visit our website, hopeawakens.com.au and click the offer link. And just a reminder, if you have any questions on tonight's program, go to hopeawakens.com.au and post them there. And we'll do our best to answer them each night before John's presentation. Thank you so much for joining us again tonight. Now, whatever you do, don't miss the next program, Rest and Recovery. We'll be at the same time next Tuesday. We'll see you then. Good night.